An autistic man is obsessed with getting an autograph from his favorite celebrity, Hunter Dunbar. An obsession which starts to turn into something more horrifying. Hello everyone, I'm Kayla Lujay. I'm Connor Azagari. And welcome to a new episode of Beyond the Bad. Today, we'll be talking about the Fred Durst. Yes, that Fred Durst. He did it all for the Nucky. And just wants to break stuff. And just keeps on rolling. The, his directed horror film, The Fanatic. You're welcome for those three references right off the top of the, the, the show. <laughs> yes. 2019 horror film he wrote and directed uh the fanatic um a film which sees the the famous frontman taking a look at an all too real issue for numerous celebrities working to this day that's obsessed fans turning to crazy stalkers um it is something that has proven in the past to make for riveting entertainment while obviously hitting a string especially for those who have have dealt with this in their life um yet critics audiences like seems to agree this wasn't exactly it for the entertainment value. So with that, I'll shoot it on over to my co-host Connor for the Rotten Tomato School. I remember when this was announced and everyone just kind of like, oh, okay. And then it disappeared. And that is because it's rocking 15% on Rotten Tomatoes with a audience score of 28%. So pretty reviled. The critics consensus reads... John Travolta gives it his oddly quaffed all, but the fanatic rings hollow as an examination of the way fan appreciation can curdle into toxic obsession. And I'd like to point out that he does not look the way he does in the movie on the poster. Like on the poster, he's got black hair, he's wearing a suit, and he has a butcher knife. (laughs) None of which happens in the movie at all. So I don't know what, like the goal here was i don't know who the audience was i don't know if this really is even a horror movie like there's so much so many questions with this thing yeah i mean i want to there's definitely some stuff i'm gonna bring up my awards but what's sad means that while i was watching this i'm thinking like there's there's good stuff in this movie you have actors committing to their performances you have a basis for a really strong story but it does a lot of things that are just really hard to look past for me, like the handling of mental health, um, the ending, which I'll get more into in my awards, how I kind of felt about like the very just strange, non-satisfactory ending by all fucking accounts. Um, so it's like, it's weird because there's stuff there that I'm like, okay, you have a case for someone that could have been really good and looked at something. And then you add in the fact that you have someone like John Travolta, who you know, we know has had some ups and downs as in his career but he's usually a pretty reliable when it comes to like performance wise good actor like he usually does a great job and then you have for a lot of horror fans the return of Devin Sawa to the scene after a break from acting um and it was like oh well there's some real talent involved even though we're you know making a bunch of Limp Biscuit jokes because Fred Durst and then we just got what we got and it was like Oh, and I remember when it came out, I saw, I knew I despaired because every review I saw for this film was horrendous. 
like Blade Disgusting did not say anything favorably. YouTubers I like to watch that review films were like shitting on it. Like I didn't see one positive thing come out for this film. And I was like, well, that's why it disappeared there. Yeah. And also Travolta regrettably has become box office poison. He hasn't had a hit in like a decade, maybe longer than that. I can't remember the last successful movie that John Travolta was a part of, which is really sad. And I think the guy's charismatic. I think he's a good actor. I think he's been a part of some great movies. But I think you should hang it up. I I think it's done. I think I think Travolta's done. Yeah, I mean he he you know he if he if he hung it up he'd be fine. You know what I mean? It's like just do it. Do some main behind the scenes stuff. Like maybe produce some stuff. So then you're still making some kind of income if you know that's what you're really worried about. But like. It's done. You know, we've watched them have two, no, like three or four chances at superstardom. You know what I mean? Like, or, you know, it, it left him and then it, you know, it came back in like the 90s with like face off and Pulp fiction, all the stuff he was getting again. And then that quickly burned thanks to Battlefield Earth. And then I would say actually since then, I've only ever seen him associated with anything that goes like limited or straight to video. Yeah. It was, I mean, there was, you know, the wild hogs period, as as I call it, where he was like showing up in like PG, PG-13 comedies. Because that's what you do when your career is in the tailspin. You you start doing shitty PG-13 comedies. Uh, and then, you know, some Oliver Stone shit. I think he was in Savages. So he's well, popped up. Really yeah, he's popped up in, in some good stuff. And he always commits, but just. I think Gotti was the last straw for people. Yeah, I've heard some pretty horrendous things about Gotti. I liked it, but I'm a sucker for gangster movies. And yeah, admittedly, I probably do have to watch it again. I feel like I might hate it the second time. I don't know. Are we saying the the like your recent revelation on the MCU films? There might be rose-colored glasses as well on gangster films that... You yeah. read, by the way, at least this one. I'm not gonna say other ones, but at least this one. There's a lot of stuff I watch that I already have convinced myself I like, and I don't really think about it from there. I bet that's a recent revelation I've had, and now I've got to be kind of cognizant of that going forward and really, you know, evaluate the project at hand. So, yeah, I'm gonna be thinking about that a lot. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, it. Like, so I don't want to get too, I'll get a little bit more into all these, especially like, because it is interesting that, like, I'll get more into it on Development Hill, but the actors they bring on, like I said, you have Travolta, who's had a rocky ass career. Like I said, you have Devin Sawyer, who he was hot for a, back in like the 90s or 2000s. The dude was doing it. And then for reasons I'll get into on Development Hill, he kind of disappeared. He stepped away. He he himself decided to step away from the limelight. And he's come back recently and he's had a great resurgence. Unlike Travolta, he's not squandering it. <laughs> he seems to be enjoying it he's you know he was in the first season of chucky you know uh mancini loved working with him so much he asked him to come back in season two as a different character so he's coming back in season two he has all these other movies he's been attached to that have been very well reviewed you know since the fanatic um so you know he's on you know he's at least had a hell of a success on his return yeah and john travolta is playing a creepy looking santa in super bowl commercials so success is measured differently by different people Well, at least we have Sawa, and I, I do love Devin Sawa, so I'll take what I can get. Um, but before we do that, uh, I got kind of two questions, actually. 
Okay. I couldn't decide on which one to ask. So I just fucking ask both because I'm bored. All right. So first one, as we've mentioned, in all seriousness, without any jokes aside, the man who wrote Dirk's film is he frontman for Limp Biscuit, right? Fred Durst, right? At the time, girl, I I look, full disclosure, I get it. I know they're like up there at Creed and Nickelback for you have to hate them. You have to be on that bandwagon. I actually don't mind some of their songs. Personally, I know you're not as into them. I don't mind some of their songs personally. But we've talked about this before. We neither one of us really jump on that bandwagon just to jump on it. Um, but for those who want to, before you guys yell at me, I'm going to present the facts. That and that is, Limp Biscuit was amazingly fucking huge for a time in like the '90s, a little bit of the early 2000s, as part of the new metal scene. Not new in EW, in you, new metal. Um, so with that, them being what they are, a lot of people know. Horror and metal kind of have like a nice um, symbiosis, right? So for you, uh, what I'm asking is how do you feel about like rock and metal artists deciding to make the leap to film, um, especially horror films, when they decide to like say, hey, I want to direct this or produce this horror film? I think as long as they know what they're doing, I mean, I think we can get quality entertainment. I mean, you know, take a look at Rob Zombie, who has done a, you know, transitioned into a pretty successful film career and done some classics you know not a lot of them but some decent films fred durst though i I kind of want him to just go away i'm i don't care for fred durst as a person i think he's a gross weird vile asshole so I, i don't really want him to be involved in the thing that i like uh and this doesn't even have anything to do with his music i just find his music obnoxious i'm not a limp biscuit fan in the slightest Mm. but I honestly didn't know that like it's considered like you have to hate them. I didn't know that. I just hated them. Mm. Uh, basically it comes from, um, I watched the uh, Woodstock 99 documentary on, um, I believe it's HBO max. And I saw Fred Durst basically, you know, helped incite a riot that got some people killed. So don't care for him. Don't care for, for Limp Biscuit. Yeah. So, yeah. That's, that's usually for most people. Um, most people and I and I get it. I don't really like Fred Durst. He comes off as a fucking asshole in a lot of interviews and stuff he's done. Um, because yeah, I'm with you with that riot thing. You know, there was a bad situation, and instead of like trying to calm it down, he helped instigate it. What's funny to me is when people talk about Olympus, and this is why I always like to mention this. I was kind of actually in a way the same thing with Nickelback. Like people don't like Jack Croker, so in turn they don't like Nickelback, and it's kind of same thing as this. They don't like. Uh, Fred Durst. Sometimes they don't like Limp Bizkit, but if you talk to anyone, most people are cool with the band members. Like, um, I'm sure you saw the documentary, the, the guitarist that's always stressed funny. Uh, West Borland, people love him. Yeah, I've heard nothing but great things about that guy because he's always just like, look, man, he's like Slash. I just want to play my guitar. I just want to get up there and play. I don't give two shits what he's. I just want to play my damn guitar. I feel bad for the talented guitarists who have to deal with an asshole frontman. It's that sucks. It's like you just want to be an artist, but there's some dickhead lot taking the spotlight and turning your art into shit. Yeah, it's funny because with the the recent we were talking about before we record the the recent album that for some fans waited like almost a decade to get the uh, now titled Limp Biscuit still sucks because now I guess Fred Durst is embracing the what he knows people think about his band. Um, but when you know it took so long to get that album out and it was funny because you see Russ Ball on, on interviews being like look man i've done my guitar parts i've done all these songs i'm with everyone else i'm just waiting for him to pick the ones he wants so we can get this album out 
I feel like he starts every sentence with look, man. Like he's just constantly having to explain himself because he's, he's lumped in with the, with this whole situation and he just wants to play guitar and sell albums. It's all he yeah. wants to do, but he's got to be like, look, I know the situation just please. Um, but yeah, I, when it comes to like, you know, the, the, the union of metal and horror, I get it, you know, fast paced shit versus fast paced shit. They're going to, they're going to collide. Uh, and it really just comes down to like, I want talented people behind and in front of the camera, regardless of what they do. You know, I feel the same way about athletes and movies and musicians and movie, like, you know, pop stars and shit. I just want people who know what they're doing, making the stuff that I like. Yeah, no, that's fair. And I'm with the, And I always point that, you know, you point out fashion. One thing I like to point out where I think horror and metal go hand in hand. And cause you know, obviously, you know me, I, I, I listen to a lot of the uh, real heavy, like the screaming type stuff. Um, I know that's not your forte um, at all. But uh, what I like to point out to a lot of people is that what I like about both genres is both ask, especially obviously that more extreme metal is what we'll call like the Slipknot type of metal. Uh, I know, again, metalheads don't come at me. I know there's obviously more extreme bands than Slipknot, but they're the most mainstream, so go fuck yourselves. Um, I'm just saying that because metalheads get like, like true metalheads, oh my God, how dare you miss them? You should have mentioned Cannibal Corpse. Or Morbid Angel was like, I get it. They're heavier, but like most people know who Slipknot is. So, um, you know, obviously like a band like, you know, like Slipknot and then like, you know, you're really like the, tor- you know, the 2000s torture porn stuff, right? Or these really gruesome horror films. What I like is that they put up these just nasty, gnarly, gross visuals, but they're asking you to look beyond that. And see, in the case of like the extreme metal guys are saying, Yes, we are presenting you something that's fast and loud, and you probably can't understand our lyrics. But look at our lyrics on, you know, a booklet or online, and look at what we're actually saying behind the music, what we're singing about. And horror does the same thing. Goes, yes, we're giving these nasty visuals, but why are we giving these nasty visuals? Why? You know, a good example we talked about was the sadness. You know, it pushed extremist visuals to you constantly throughout, but the whole time is asking you to look beyond that at what the film's actually trying to say. And that's one thing I love that both genres tend to do. True. But I firmly believe Limp Biscuit has fuck all extra meaning to say. Oh, no, no. Trust me. I did not mean yeah. Limp Biscuit's not love that. With that said, there's fans that and, and movies that aren't trying to do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Friday 13th's not trying to ask you the meaning of life. It just wants you to watch teenagers get hacked up. Limp Biscuit just wants you to listen to a guy talking about, you know, how he's rolling, rolling, rolling. And yeah, so I mean, but is there a place for that? Absolutely, there's a place for just uh, that type of entertainment. And the people that like it, like it. And like I said, I don't, I don't think you should just jump on a bandwagon and jump on a bandwagon at the same time. I don't think you should get mad at just shit on people that like these bands. Like, what the fuck ever? Who cares? Um, with that, I'm like, I'm like you, yeah. If they, you know, like Rob Zombie, obviously, probably the most famous example when it comes to metal and horror. Um, if as long as the talent's still there when they make the transition. I don't care. And yes, you know, thank God this one's coming out before Monsters comes out and the internet loses its collective fucking mind. Um, But, uh, you know, regardless of what you think of Zombies films, right, and his career movie-wise, and for some people career music-wise, you know, I've really liked his past couple albums. Um, He, you know, and I, it's just like how I feel about, you know, someone like James Cameron when I talk about how I don't really like his post-Titanic stuff. I won't take away the legacy they left in film, right? Mm-hmm. You know, in the case of Cameron Wright, Aliens, Terminator 1 and 2, you know, so on and so forth. 
think it's a zombie the devil's rejects has become to this you know very much a new modern horror classic like he made that he made that he put his legacy his stamp in horror with that film now i'm not gonna take that away from him because what i people you know you may think about anything past that isn't cameron's post titanic stuff just avatar yes okay i thought so and again, I stand by. I don't really like his post-Titanic work as much as pre-Titanic work. Fair enough. Cannot change my mind on that. I don't intend to. But uh, yeah, I get it. There's you know a certain, especially with zombie. There's a certain style he command he commands on you know in his movies and his music, and he just likes doing it. He just likes making cool shit, and I respect him as an artist. Do not respect Fred Durst as an artist. <laughs> At all. I like, how, I like how you keep saying this. This is I'm trying to convince you to respect Fred Durst as an artist and human being, and I'm not doing that. I'm at just making I'm just making this clear to whoever would is listening that I don't like him and I never will. I just want that on record as many times as I can make it known. <laughs> all right. Well, on that note, let's move on. I don't know how to how to segue gracefully to the next question on that. Other than let it be known, Connor really despises Fred Durst and to an extent his band Limp Biscuit. Yeah. Enough said. If I could get it in writing, I would. <laughs> so with that, switching gears a little bit on the second question. This has more to do. I can't I thought of it as we we're watching the film. Oh, uh, it's not we. We're not watching the scare as I was watching the film. <laughs> um so what what do you think uh makes the idea of like a stalker so terrifying to audience is my second question. Like what what do you think makes this ideal so fucking terrifying? That's a good question. Um we all as human beings have this instinct that we know when we're being watched. And just the constant the idea that somebody is so obsessed with you that they are always watching, that they're waiting, that they're trying to needle their way into your life by any means necessary, that is absolutely terrifying i mean i was talking to a friend recently about the you know a, a stalker situation that they're they're dealing with i won't name them out of respect mm-hmm. but they've they've been dealing with this a situation a lot like this that they've had to get the cops involved like it's it's creepy it's terrifying to you know you can't do anything about it if they're not like actually like hurting you it's just a, it's it's a constant boiling pot that is like about to explode and you can't do anything until it's too late most of the time uh yeah i've always been creeped out by by stalkers and obsessives and mm-hmm. i think it's like the most some of them some of the most like psychologically evil shit you can do to somebody is just stay in their life no matter how much they want you out of it yeah well i think to me in a way it kind of goes back to when we were talking about like what makes home invasion films so scary, right? And the idea of like you know not being safe in your own home, the place where you feel safe. I think it can kind of link it to stalkers as well. So I know that you know you live your day to day life and you live it thinking you're pretty safe. You know you do right things, right? You go do your your errands in the morning in a crowded place so nothing bad can happen, right? During broad daylight, you go to a good neighborhood. You know you hey it's getting dark, so let's make sure we're not on the same road. You know I'm home at this time, or if I am coming home late at night, I'm with a friend. You know. All these things. And you know, for me, being out at a certain time during the night with my dog makes me a little 
feel a little safer than if it was just me, you know? Um, not that my dog can do much, but just having like the 80 pound German Shepherd lab mix helps. Yeah. Um, well, so it's, it's also just like this idea that like, what did I do? You know, what, what triggered this? Sometimes it could be nothing. It could just be like, I want, you know, they liked your hair. So they've mm -hmm. chosen you to follow. It could, you know, it happens to celebrities a lot because of their, you know, uh, global presence. But, it, you know, when it's just somebody off the street, like there's, I hate, you know, how they can kind of almost convince you like that you're the, that you did this, that it's your fault for like being noticed or something. It gets in your head in a, a crazy way. I, it's fucking wild. I, I hope I never have to deal with that shit. Yeah. Well, that's what I was kind of, you know, it's like, I know all these things you do to feel safe. Right. And someone, like you said, because of, I'll, I'll choose myself, for example, someone likes my tattoo sleeve. Right. You know, we, you know, about my horror sleeve. Right. And that is the reason not for them to go, Ooh, I'm going to just family follow this guy because he likes horror and he has it to the point where it's tattooed on him. I'm just going to keep following him. Oh, you know what I mean? And then they shatter all those things I do to make myself feel safe and they shatter it by knowing my schedule being there when i least expect it getting you know at my home at like times that's not okay you know what i mean yeah well the mental state of somebody who would do that is you know just by definition completely unstable because a normal human being would never engage in that kind of behavior so knowing that not only are is somebody following you but there is a very good like 90 percent chance they're absolutely crazy that like wow man like i can't imagine dealing with that especially if it's like if they're smart and they get vindictive and they like you know call your boss or something and like you know show up at work or like sabotage you I mean, that's mm -hmm. have you ever seen pacific heights no i've heard of it but i haven't seen it uh this is this yuppie couple are renting out a room and they michael keaton rents the room mm -hmm. and he turns out to be a nut job who starts like dismantling their lives so he can fuck up their house and make turn a profit of his own. But he like lets roaches go in the house and like stalks them at work and like manipulates their friends. It's fucking crazy. It's so like, yeah, movies like that and like fear from 96 with, you know, Mark mm -hmm. Wahlberg and all that like stalker movies get in my head. I love psychological horror and you could do so much with a stalker story. Yeah. Yeah. I do. When you say work, that, that freaks me out. Cause like, you know, I'm, you know, for those who haven't known yet, I'm in the military, so I go to base for work. Like, I have to show them my ID, get onto the base. Um, that would freak me out if I got to work and they were there because I know what I have to get through just to get to the fucking place I work at. So it's like, wait a minute, why are you here? What do you mean you have, you know, that means you have access to get into this base? <laughs> yeah, it's creepy, man. It's uh, makes for a great horror movie, but makes for a very frightening true story. And I just feel bad for anybody who's had to deal with that. Yeah. And, you know, I know we make jokes a lot about how we, you know, when you hear about, like, we make jokes, obviously, about, like, financial stuff. It's always like, oh, how can you clean about this contract stuff? And you're making all these millions. I do generally feel, all joking aside, feel really bad and terrified for these when you hear about these celebrities that get stalked and, like, these fans that just get obsessive. Because, you know, like, okay, being, you know, keeping it kind of the horror realm and, you know, you know, they have conventions and stuff. We can go to and meet celebrities you know, they understand a level of awkwardness and shyness when they're a fan is meeting them. You know what I mean? Like, hey, you're meeting someone you've idolized by since you were a kid. It's a big moment for you. But then when you take that, what is an understandable level of like, hey, I'm just really nervous meeting you. 
you know, I've, you have someone I've been looking forward to meeting, you know, take a picture and an autograph. And you take that to the next level of like, this isn't cool anymore. Yeah. And you start following them and knowing everything. Like, that's when it's like, what are you doing? And you feel, I do feel bad for those players. It's like, all they did was make something that, guess what? You're not the only one that enjoys that movie. They have tons of people across the United States alone that enjoy that movie. Well, it takes a certain, you know, level of uh, just like, like uh, I won't say abusive, but like a neglectful childhood, I feel like, to create this kind of mindset where you relate to film or music or a television show to the point of absolute obsession where that becomes your entire life and you can't separate reality from art. And that's scary. Like, I never... <laughs> I can't imagine the kind of fans Stephen King has to deal with. I mean, that's where misery came from. But like, I hope I never meet him because I I don't want to f- look like an Annie Wilkes. You know what I mean? I don't want to be like, oh my god, I'm your biggest fan, because you know he'll be thinking, oh god, not another one. Mm. So it's like, I yeah, it's that yeah. celebrity like double edged sword thing. I I can't imagine like people want to be famous until they're actually famous. Yeah. And that's uh, it's actually um, you know, because as you know, me and Josh went to CryptCon when we were up in Washington, um, you know, like again, like in my case, right? What successful was that I met PJ Souls the first year I went. You know, she was in the original Halloween, and also in Devil's Rejects, bunch of other stuff. And, you know, I got you know, I got nervous and I blushed, and but that was understandable. You know, she was cool about it. You know, she said her line to me, gave me a hug. You know, kind of like calling like, hey, you know, it's cool. I get it. I didn't take it a step fucking further. You know what I mean? I didn't get all creep. I just had my moment of like, oh my god, I'm meeting a someone I've seen on TV in a movie I fucking love. Yeah, you see person like, oh my god. Um, but yeah, I didn't take that. So I got my picture. We talked. I got my autograph. And I moved on. I got the autograph framed, framed hanging yeah. up on my wall. That's it. Yeah, the adoration is one sided, and I there's there's some fans who don't realize that. Like they think that because they watch this film they have a personal relationship with these with with one of these actors and that is dangerous it's you know self-destructive and it gets people hurt so like if you're having you know if you ever have that problem seek help before things get out of control yeah because that uh uh adrian king from the original friday 13th she's recently doing conventions recently and when we went to cryptocon second year she was there and um, she mentioned her story of being stalked. And one of the reasons she kind of was like scared to do these conventions because she had a fan, not from a convention, but a fan of the films, stalk her and really, uh, you know, scare her and mess her up there for a bit. And um, it wasn't until recently that I think it was um, Amy Still and some other Friday 13th, you know, alumni that were doing the circuit, right? Doing the convention circuit, kind of talking to her. So, like, hey, look, that, you know, we know you had a scary ordeal, but like, there's a demand from these fans who want to see you at the convention. They're not all like that. Like most of them are very sweet, nice people. And she decided to take the chance. And luckily she took the chance. She's doing it. She's loving it. I see her name on convention stuff all the time, but she did because of it, because of that fan taking it too far and getting scary and obsessive. We almost didn't get her at conventions. You know, the rest we essentially get denied, if you will, for like a better term because of one person taking it way too fucking far. I remember reading I remember reading about that when we did the Friday the 13th episode and I just felt bad for her. Uh I do love this one story. I don't know if this is true. It, I hope I've seen it enough that I think it might be true. Robert Pattinson had an obsessive fan who was stalking his house, like staying outside his house and like, you know, trying to talk to him and like, you know, break into his house or something. So he took her out to lunch. 
and complained about his personal life the whole time and never saw her again. He just, <laughs> he just bitched at her and she was like, I don't like this guy anymore. So yeah, it worked. It was a great plan. That's awesome. Yeah, suddenly he was a person, an annoying person who won't shut up about themselves. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Well, I think that's what these people forget. You know what I mean? I think that's what they forget. They just look at like, oh my god, they're a movie star, and not hey, yeah, they are. Like that's their job is to be in movies, and yes, some of them attain quite a level of stardom. Not all of them. Um. But some of them maintain that. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what level of stardom they are, they're a human being. They got to pay taxes. They got kids to worry about sometimes. They got pets to worry about. They got personal shit like you and me do to worry about. They got a mortgage to pay on their, their regular house or their fucking mansion, you know, whatever. But, you you know, know, that, to... All that alimony to all those ex-wives. Yeah, they got, they got you know, uh, child support still. They still got to pay that shit. You know, they still got personal shit they got to worry about. And people forget that. Like, yes, they act and they do. They bring us something that we love dearly as movie fans, but they're human beings too. Yeah, exactly. And I think if you just, you know, figure that out, smooth ride. You know, you don't, like, I never have to worry about being a stalker because I'm, you know, I'm a rational human being. It's nice. It's nice to be aware of that. Yeah. Like, I, I may have celebrities I love. I'm not stalking them. Jesus. No, that's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. And really, if you have that kind of time, like you can do a lot more with your life. Yeah, that's another thing. Like, do you have no job? Like, no, no life at all? Like, this is all you do with your time? Like, that's that's got to be great. Right. My schedule was that free. So just terrifying our human being. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, it's. I've I've met a few celebrities in in real life, and I've like I tried to like just do whatever I can to not seem creepy because I just don't want to I don't want to seem creepy. I don't, and I've pulled it off like all three times that I can recall. I've I've I pulled it off. Mm. Yeah, no, it's it's tough. I will say it's been easy when I do it with Josh because, like I said, I tend to be when I don't know people very quiet and first with that it's against me when I'm meeting celebrities. I'm like I'm already kind of a quiet just for a guy with people I don't know, and now I'm meeting people of like growing up watching on my tv um so it does that doesn't help well usually with josh they can it's a good buffer he's better at talking to them than i am and in the experience one thing we do have because from military is usually the conversation tends to lean towards that and then again kind of you know like i said they're human right i've had it when we met uh richard break we spent most time him asking us questions about the military you know he got very interested in that real quick yeah i got to have a a quick one-on-one with lewis black which was really fun. It was a, I got a, for, I got concert tickets for my birthday and he was one, he's one of my favorite comedians and then he did a meet and greet. And I was just like, you know, Mr. Black, this has been such a pleasure. This is the greatest birthday gift I've ever gotten. He was like, how old are you? And I was like 16 at the time. And he went, well, I guess this won't fuck you up too much. So I got my own private joke from Lewis Black. So that was, that was awesome. I read, I read a, a one encounter. I would, this one, I was about Keanu Reeves. Or apparently when he was working on one of the Matrix films and he was in Sydney, Australia, he went to go see From Hell, the Johnny Depp movie. And apparently the, the guy at the ticket booth recognized him and, you know, he had his moment where he was like, uh... And he tried being nice, being like, well, you can have my employee discount, Mr. Reeves. Like, you know, he's freaking out because he's like, holy shit, it's Kanye Reeves. <laughs> and um, apparently Reeves was like, but I don't work here. 
<laughs> he's like, yeah, sorry. And, you know, gave him the, you know, ended up giving him the full price. You know, he walks away. He's, he's talking about like, you know, he's like, fuck, I just really fucked up. Meeting Kanye Reeves. I'm a fucking idiot. And he said two minutes later, there's a knock on his door on the box office door. And he's like, fuck. Thinking it's the manager, he opens it. It's fucking Keanu Reeves. Hands him a receipt that he signed. Goes, hey, I'm pretty sure you want an autograph from me, so here you go, man. And hands him that and throws away a fucking ice cream. He literally bought something from the concession stand to get a goddamn receipt, sign it, be like, hey, here you go. It seemed like he <laughs> probably wanted this. <laughs> that's that's fantastic. I love that. Yeah. Celebrity culture is weird. But, uh, you know, we all we all have our idols. We all have people we, you know, melt if we ever met them. And just, you know, be yourself and don't follow them home. Yeah, don't be a yeah, don't be a stalker. Just be yourself. If you get nervous, you get nervous from what I've, you know, seen with a lot of them. They understand. They 100 percent get it. I'll never I'll never forget where we like both froze up when we met Bruce Campbell because we didn't know what to say. We were so starstruck. We're like, Ash Williams is right there. What do we What do we say? And I was like, I don't know what to do. Yeah, I've done that. Like I said, if it's just me, man, I am terrible. I get so starstruck like that. When I met Tom Savini, I was like, I don't know what to say. It's Tom fucking Savini. <laughs> I'm just glad I got a second and third chance with Bruce Campbell. And that third chance, I was like, I'm going to easy to remember me this time. And yeah, that was a blast. I've told that story a lot. Um, yeah, I don't want to hear it again. I know. <laughs> But it's, yeah, it's, you know, it really just don't, you know, try to suppress the creep because there's always going to be some creep when you're fawning over somebody, whether it's you know someone you're trying to date or a celebrity you're meeting, there's, you got to suppress that shit. You're going to, you're going to create a very awkward situation. (laughs) Don't make it awkward. And also don't be an autograph chaser. Those people are weird. Yeah, like don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with like going to convention, getting your autographs if that's what you're shooting for. Nothing wrong with that. Just don't be a chaser. Yeah. Don't like wait for them to come out of like a department store and be like, sign this so you can sell it on eBay for 50 bucks. Yeah, that's insane. That's insane. Like, don't get me wrong, I I got my autographs at Kirkcon a lot of Friday 13 people on my box set. And guess what? I didn't sell it because it's goddamn mine. Now <laughs> I just have a signed Friday 13 box set by the various actors and composer. I've got Lewis Black and Bruce Campbell both framed in my apartment because they mean a lot to me. Yeah, I have a, I have currently a nice little thing going on one of my walls of various autographs I have. Nice. That I've gotten not by chasing, just over time. Like a normal I, person. I got to hit up more conventions. There's just, you know, they're expensive. They can be. You have to be prepared with conventions. There's like the price to get in and then you got like have a plan out if you want to hit up any of the vendors because... I recommend hitting up vendors as well because there's some really cool things there you can get. So I always say, oh, yeah. look at the vendors, get some shit from the vendors. Last Comic Con I went to was like eight years ago. I got a Smallville lunchbox and a S Mart badge and a uh, X Files like encyclopedia. Oh, so oh, yeah. yeah, I love I love cons. It's just like you got to pay to get in, and then it's like everybody to like to get an autograph. It's like 50, 60 bucks per person, mm-hmm. and that's just insane, man. Yeah, horror, the horror conventions tend to be better on that. They're still about 50, 60, but it's usually a combo. And they'll have the actual options like it's 20 if you just want to autograph, or you know, 30 if you just want a photo, or 40, 50 if you want both autograph photo. And yeah. they, they used to do a thing where it was like 
you it they were charged differently if you want a, a autograph from one of the pictures they brought or something you brought in to get signed. I've been seeing that go away a lot more recently at cons where it's like just autograph in general. It doesn't matter if it's something you bring like I did for some stuff or um you know that they bring themselves, you know, the pictures that they they bring. Apparently Adam Green says he does not charge anything like at all for his pictures and I respect that. Autographs, yeah. He's talking about fam- if I was famous, I'd do the same thing. Yeah, he's talking, he's like he's like he gets it. He even said he goes, he gets it in a lot, especially for a lot of horror actors that this is the genre they're known for. They don't exactly get paid a lot of money. They're not living the A-list lifestyle like people seem to think. So he's like, I get it. That's usually conventions are their means of making the money. So they do. That's why they charge. But he goes, he's like, I can't bring myself to do that to fans. <laughs> See, those are the people I want to meet more than anybody. Like, I could, I could give a fuck about meeting like Tom Cruise, but if I ever got to meet Tom Savini, I'd lose my mind. Like, yeah, oh, uh, dude, there's still people I want to meet. Like, God, like Ted Raimi, uh, Felisa Rose. Like, there's still some I would love to fucking meet. Yeah, like I, I want to meet Tony Todd. I feel like he would be really cool and like really imposing in person. <laughs> yeah, hearing that like that buttery, dark voice in person. Holy shit, <laughs> dude. But yeah, there's. I'd, I'd much rather meet like you know, the the character actors, like the guys who are just kind of you know, living paycheck to paycheck. But you know, they're making movies. Like those are the guys I want to I want to talk to. I want to encounter because I feel like they'll have relatable, really neat stories. They usually do. They're a lot cooler to talk to, and they're more willing to try to mix. Like I've noticed, so try to mix conversation between a mixture of like obviously things they've worked on, but obviously, um, just other shit. Like when I met, um. Uh, God Skinner, Mitch uh, Pelleggi from yeah. X Files. He actually, when I mentioned I was from Texas, he we started talking about Round Rock and stuff because he had been through there for a shoot once. So we started talking <laughs> about that. Oh, um, that's cool. Yeah. So you know they'll they'll do a really good job trying it. They obviously understand if like that's just what the conversation is going to be, but they'll try to obviously talk about other stuff and actually have, especially if the lines aren't long. At some if they don't have a long line, they will try to make the time to talk to you and have that little one-on-one for a quick second before you, you know, get on your way. Yeah. Pretty cool. But uh, don't do what Moose did and just get obsessed with one guy who's a total prick and then just keep trying to get an apology. Yeah. Don't do that. Because <laughs> again, celebrities, right? They're human. Sometimes humans are assholes. Sometimes, so just saying. Yeah. Then you know, turns out absolute power corrupts absolutely, even if it's not all that absolute. Yep, not all celebrities are Kanye Reeves, is what we're saying. Unfortunately, they're not all Kanye Reeves. Nah, that would be actually kind of boring. <laughs> it would. I mean, if anything, it just means that when him and like people like him and Brendan Fraser, and you hear about how great they are, you're like, it makes you happy. You're like, there are good ones working. Yeah. Ooh, cool, cool. With that, I feel like we have. I didn't expect that question to go down the road before we did, but I'm glad I added that second one. Um, unless you have more to add, let's get into this uh, short little development hell. Yeah. All right. So, again, this is not going to be a lot, but luckily we know enough about a lot of these big names involved to kind of expand. Uh, so, the origin for this film actually starts with Fred Dirks himself. So, like I said, regardless of what you guys think of the band, they were huge for a time, they had their fans. Right, hence why we had the issue like you brought up with Woodstock '99. One of the issues was that was a large fucking group of fans, 
among many other things involving with Woodstock 99 that made it all go to hell. Um, so he would actually base this story loosely on a real life incident in which a fan of his band, Limp Biscuit, in case you didn't know, um, stalked him. Um, he even had the clothes of the main characters, the Hawaiian shirt, like the shorts, and the those were based off the clothes of that stalker. How empty is your life when you're stalking Limp Biscuit? I mean, for God's sake, have some respect for yourself. Stalk a band that matters. I mean, seriously, that's pathetic. I know that's not the takeaway I'm supposed to get from that, but that's all I'm thinking is like, that's what you picked to, to base your entire weird obsessive life over. You you chose Limp Biscuit. <laughs> Jesus. I love how that was not the take I thought we were going. <laughs> you saying you should have one up and just done Nickelback? If you're going to be a stalker, you can do better than Fred Durst. I, 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 you know what? If you're gonna take anything away from this, there's my there's my advice of the week. Stock stock higher. <laughs> oh my god, that is not what I uh, I saw happening there. That was lovely. <laughs> but I mean, hey, you know that sucks. I guess. Yeah. Unless this guy like scared Fred Durst and it, you know, kind of pushed him away from music. In that case, well done, guy. It was just one of those days. <laughs> I got, I see what you did there. Thank you. Yeah. So um, I'm really not going to expand on on Fred Durst. I feel like we've done that enough. They're a huge new metal band. People get on the band, we're going to hate them. If you, if you like them, you like them. I really don't give a shit. They got some, I don't mind their music that much. Um, but yeah, they were huge. They had their fans and they uh they're one of the main bands, unlike bands like you know, corn and slipknot stuff that just did not survive the 90s all that well. No, um, but they have you know, corn especially. Like I don't know. I like I, I like what corn's doing. Like they're doing something different. I like corn. when they're doing something different. Yeah, and you also like because again, I know you're not huge, but yes, because you gotta remember, Corn actually started. They're 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 they've been kind of honored as the band that really kicked off the new metal wave in the '90s, because they really the, a lot of the things they were doing and what new metal became happened after they came out with their first album, um, mm-hmm. and what they were doing on that. So they've been credited as being like the biggest like, this is what metal is in the '90s type of bands when they came out with you know their first title album and Blind came out and you know that are you ready and it just launched yeah it yeah so to their credit they did start something you know they've had kind of a rocky career as most as most fans know but i i like them they have their place and like you said they've done something different they got their place in the metal ward for sure there was an episode of monk where they were stuck in traffic and they needed somebody needed to use a bathroom and the only bathroom available was corn's tour bus so corn was like yeah we'll help you out and then he then they helped monk solve a mystery so that was my introduction. I mean, to corn. <laughs> if, anything, if anything, it shows you how huge they were to be on fucking TV shows as like, hey, we got corn on this TV show. Like that's like 2005. Yeah, that's how mainstream. I, if, that's what's crazy to me sometimes when people are like, man, metal's not mainstream. And you're right, it's not as mainstream. But like, there was a time when like someone like corn was on a fucking hit TV show. Hell, they debuted a song on South Park. 
Yeah, Corn's Groovy Cartoon Mystery. I remember that. Yeah, that song they played, it debuted on that episode. They had worked out a whole thing with them for that to be like the premiere of that song. I remember Limp Bizkit being on South Park. Just saying. Success is measured differently, and I'd love to know what they consider to be success. I am going to take pot shots the entire time. I hope you're aware. I I, I got that at this point. (laughs) Uh, In case you're thinking this is his first film, I was just as shocked as everyone to find out this is Fred Durst's third film. He previously directed both The Education of Charlie Banks and The Long Shots. Education of Charlie Banks is a drama with Jesse Eisenberg, young Jesse Eisenberg, and Long Shots is a comedy with, I think it was Ice Cube, I believe. I might be wrong on that. It Shit, I forgot. I don't want to be wrong. I, I got you here. Continue. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, not apparently his first rodeo uh, directing. He's done these. I am not sure if he's directed any Limp Biscuit videos. I know that happens a lot in metal. You have um, members that are direct. The, uh, like for Slipknot, the guy who does the clown mask in the band. Um, mm-hmm. He directs a lot of Slipknot videos. He just uses them to direct. Um, the Long um, Shots, 2008, directed by Fred Durst. It's a PG biopic of Jasmine Plummer, who was the first female to play in Pop Warner football tournament in its 56-year history, and she was only 11 years old. No. And who do you get to make that story? Fred Durst. He was. He, I know Kiki Palmer's in that. Who else was in that? Um, Ice Cube. Uh, okay, it was Ice Cube. I think I saw the poster and went, "This looks like a comedy." And I didn't probably actually read the Wikipedia. It's a comedy. It's, it's okay. IMDb has it list, listed as biography, comedy, drama, family sport. Oh, okay. So I guess if Durst is just dipping his toes in every genre. Is he like? Should we expect a, a sci-fi movie in the near future? Oh God, Fred Durst in space. Well, I mean, you know, he did this when he was supposed to be doing that new Limp Biscuit album, and that's finally out. So maybe he has time. Maybe movies were just his way to avoid handling the, the album. He's like, oh, goddamn, I don't want to make the album. I'll make a movie that'll keep people off my back for a few months. Wes Borland's calling him, what the fuck, dude? I just want to do guitars for this album. Why are you making a movie? He turns like, hey, John, you want to take this? And Travolta's like, we're making a movie here. Just give him some time. <laughs> he has a guitar in his hand. He's just playing it like, no, I'm playing it right now. I need this. Damn it, Fred. We're doing this over the phone. If you, <laughs> That's the only way I, we can make this happen now. Oh, God. Yeah, cool. I don't know. Whatever. I guess when you have enough money, you can pretty much, like, your hobbies are a lot bigger than the rest of ours. Yes, apparently. And it costs a lot more than ours. Um. Now, the film, I'm going to go ahead and bring up the two actors. I kind of want to talk about both of them a little bit. Uh, so the film is notable for showing both Devin Sawa and John Travolta. So first, I want to talk about Sawa, just because I want to knock him out first before we can get into Travolta. I don't mean that, but I just really like Sawa. Um, so in, the, in his case, right, this was a, the, the beginning. This was one of the early films he did to kind of start getting to his more, get back to more high-profile roles in a way. You know, this was like him kind of coming back to Hollywood, for those who don't know, um, Devin Sawa, right, big hit in the '90s, early 2000s. He had Idle Hands. He had Found Us Nation. You know, he was he was he was on top of the world. He was appearing in a lot of stuff. He was doing a lot of things, and he has admitted that he started kind of burning some bridges. He developed kind of a drinking problem. The success was getting to his head. 
Discret, he's fully admitted to all this. He's been like, hey, it was kind of my fault. He said, I'd take a step back. You know, he got, he, he even, I believe he moved out of Hollywood. He's not even in LA at all. He, he moved away, worked on himself, got like clean and sober, uh, sober. And now, you know, luckily it worked. You know, he's married with kids now. Um, he's come back. And since then, it's been nothing but great for both him and the fans. Um, you know, since then, he has legitimately, even with this film, you know, kind of attached, he has reclaimed his status as like a beloved actor in the horror genre again you know he's he's done stuff for Fangoria he's been on the Fangoria Chainsaw Awards he's in both seasons of Chucky he's had you know he's attached to a lot of different horror projects like he's come back in a really big way and I'm just very happy and I want to point that out that's good yeah not a lot of people can you know burn bridges in the 2000s as a teenager and then show up 20 years later as a DILF winning everybody over so good for I do. the amount of people I didn't realize that they were like thirsty for him. Like I, cause I follow him on Twitter and he's other than people that are thirsting for him. Uh, he's hilarious on Twitter. He has one of the funniest Twitter accounts. Um, he's great, but I did not realize how many like people just go gaga. And hey, yeah, look, I'll say he's aged well. I'll give him credit. Like, yeah, handsome man. And I'm yeah. glad he was able to get clean and reclaim a career. Not a lot of people can do that. No, and like I said, you know, he especially with the stuff he's attached to. I mean, or you know, recently, you know, Black Friday, great film. I was happy to see him that happy to see him doing a lot of physical stuff in that because with something like Idle Hands, he became real known for being able to do physical comedy very well. Um, that was actually a big movie for him because he um he said on an interview he idolized Bruce, that was his idol, was Bruce Campbell. He loved Bruce Campbell, loved the Evil Dead films. And when he did Idle Hands, he really wanted to evoke that kind of like physical uh comedy that Bruce Campbell brought to Evil Dead with Idle Hands. So he he did that. He really threw himself into the role. And so to see him kind of come back and do Black Friday with his idol, he you saw it. He's very physical. He's doing a lot of stuff in there. Like I'm sure like that just had to be a great fucking moment for him. And obviously for us the fans, we get two fucking people we love in one movie. Just personally happy that he stopped doing dumb face. Cause that's why I didn't like him. Final Destination, there's that poster where he's like front and center with his mouth half open like he's drooling. And then in the movie, he just randomly will just be like, I have his mouth like kind of open and I'm like, who taught him that? God. So I'm glad that maybe it was the booze doing that because he hasn't done that in anything I've seen since he came back. So I'm thankful for that. Have you seen Idle Hands? I have not. I, I, I watched part of it on TV when I was a kid. There's a scene where like a dude's decapitated and they like put like a stick up his brain and then like duct tape the neck. I, I saw that. Yeah. It's so his, be- the hand that's like possessed and he you know, cuts it off and it kills both his best friends. One of which is played by Seth Green. Um, and so they come back as zombies and they're just badgering him the whole time, but they're still like bros. <laughs> it's, actually, it's a really funny movie. I definitely recommend if you're liking Sorrow's career now, like check that one out for sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's that's on sorry if you can't tell I I loved him being guys back sounds like you're really you are yourself you know you're not as big into obviously Friday's Nation I don't know if that counts as a second watch for you or not I'm I don't know I will I definitely want to rewatch Final Destination because if I can get past the dumb face I'm sure there's something to like about that movie <laughs> at the time I was I, when I watched it the first time I was like who is this dork <laughs> so I had a hard time moving past that. So it's been a it's been a long time, about eight years. So it's time to give that another shot. Maybe now that you know him a bit better with this lyric, he might like it more. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, like I said, you know, I've always loved him. You've been really enjoying his his recent work as well. I know you've you know Chucky and Black Friday and whatnot. So just want to quickly kind of spotlight that. It's very happy for him. Um, but now for <laughs> the man himself, Don Travolta. Boy, what a career he's had. Am I right? He's like, and I mean this in the nicest way, he's kind of like a growth that you keep getting removed at the doctors, but it keeps popping back up. And you're like, it's familiar, so you're not like afraid of it, but you're like, I don't want this anymore, but I can't get rid of it. And I just, yeah, I, I don't know. He's just, he keeps squandering his chances. He keeps making horrific decisions. He keep, I mean, the whole, you know, Battlefield Earth is going to be bigger than Star Wars. Yeah, okay, John. And like, no, it's, I think it's time for him to just stop. Yeah. And, you know, to me, and what gets me is this, but to me, kind of makes it sad. I haven't heard anything negative about the guy. Like I haven't heard he's difficult to work with or anything. Like I haven't heard anything like that come out of like from people like by our accounts, he's not a bad dude. He does his job. He's easy to work with. As we even in this film and a lot of his bad films, he commits. You know, he doesn't ever I'd never seen him really half ass a performance yet. He commits. He just had like two instant like two cases of falling off the map. And apparently after Battle for Earth, that was the biggest one. And he did have, like you said, a brief moment where he starts doing things like Wild Hogs and our stuff. All those didn't do that great. And it's like he has just never been given a new chance since. Not because he poured everything into a mob movie that nobody saw. Like he made weird deals with like foreign companies that don't exist anymore. Like everything to finance this movie. He made Joe Pesci get fat and then fired him. Like Gotti was such a, a parade of terrible decisions that I think everyone just kind of was like, We're, we don't want to deal with John Travolta anymore. And yet he keeps getting invited back to the Oscars for like stunts and, st- and shit, you know? Mm. He, he's just kind of woven into the fabric of Hollywood. And, you know, if you if you rip him out, the tapestry is just not going to look right. No. And it, 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 it also sucks in a way, because I feel like we still kind of root for him in a weird way. Because obviously, you know, he recently, you know, his wife passed away not too long ago. Um, we'll get in. Uh, you know, he's lost a son. Like, the guy, you know, he's had some hardships he's had to endure in his personal life, yeah. And you know, it when things like that happen, as we kind of saw, obviously, recently, a more recent case we've talked about before is Brendan Fraser and the hardships he's gone through, and like where he's at now. There is that part of you that's like, I want to see him, you know, get through this and see him reclaim that, at least have something reclaimed. I mean, it's all the other stuff that's kind of gone on in his personal life. And, you know, this movie ain't it, but um, it does suck. <laughs> all that, and you're like, but this is not it. This is not it. That was a comedian. Yeah. <laughs> Should be a comedian. No, but um, it does suck. You know what I mean? Like, you root. You want to see him have that film that brings him back. You know what I mean? Like, Brandon Fraser's about to get it, obviously, for the well. I'd argue he had some stuff before, and then I've been watching Doom Patrol. But obviously, the well is probably the most high-profile one. The most, the one most people probably won't see. Um, I wonder if Travolta is like too proud to go to TV because I feel like that'd be a good next step for him to try to reclaim some some acclaim. That would be nice. It would, especially in this world of like streaming, man. Like, um, 
I, I, like I've been saying it, TV does not to me, it obviously does not have the same status it used to, right? It's not no longer a second rate. Um, this is the end of your career thing. Like streaming is really made so like you can be an actor that yeah. does both and that's not a problem. Well, I wonder if because he started in TV with uh, Welcome Back Cotter that he's got some like he would consider that a career step backwards even today. He is. He is. From, yeah, he started that way. And that was from his period of time. It was like that. Yeah. He's got hang ups, man. And I'm sure, you know, his association with the Church of Scientology ain't helping. No. So I don't see it. I don't see him ever coming. And what was it? I'm actually just thinking about it. he could eat. It would be so easy for him to just be like a detective or something, you know, in some TV show. I thought you were going to say, like, he'd just be a cop. I was going to say that, actually. I was like, cop, detective. Like, just leave Hollywood and, like, become an actual cop. No, no. <laughs> I mean, TV, it's on my mind because I saw that trailer for Dahmer, the Netflix show that just came out, which I'm totally checking out because Evan fucking Peters as Dahmer's inspired casting, in my opinion. Um Russell, you haven't seen enough Evan Peters. That man can have enrolled like no other. Nice. Nah, um, yeah. Whatever. How dare you? Um, but you know, just because I saw that, I'm like, he could easily like get a TV gig, a recurring gig as like a cop or a detective. He did do that. Uh, People versus OJ Simpson. He did that. Oh shit, he did do that, didn't he? And I actually yeah. got really good reviews. I remember that was like very highly reviewed. I think he got an Emmy nomination. Like that was a good. That was good for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I heard that was really good. Maybe if he just focused on TV more, he could have that resurgence. It worked for Jessica Lang with American Horror Story. She all but disappeared. And then American Horror Story came out. And everyone won't shut up about her. She had a fucking resurgence out the ass. Also, you know, good advice. Maybe don't accept scripts with titles like Speed Kills and Trading Paint. Because <laughs> you just know, like, this is probably not going to end up in the movie theaters. Or a respectable streaming service. This has to be written all over it. <laughs> so, yeah, somebody needs to help John be a little bit more selective. Yeah, he's he's going down like, you know, Bruce Willis went down that route before he, you know, came out with his uh, his um his uh sickness and had to retire. And then obviously, you know, Cage went down this route before he had a resurgence. Really, um, thank God on that one, you know. <laughs> Sorry about the Bruce Willis one. Did not want to hear that in my fucking lifetime. Yeah, uh, but it. I just don't see the same thing happening for Travolta. It's just there's been so many opportunities given to him, and doesn't take it. They've been talking face off too for quite some time now. I wonder if he's that desperate. I wonder. I know the guy who did Godzilla vs Kong, Adam Ringard. The he went to the college I went to for film. He's supposed to be directing it. Yeah, Cage would probably do it. But I don't know if Travolta will. I wonder if he'll be too proud. Because I don't know if he realizes the shit situation he's in. That's the thing. Like, he never seems to be worried. Scientology must be fucking funding him to live a good life for him to not worry. Maybe there is something to those auditing sessions. Maybe we got to get clear. It's the only way to be truly happy, Caleb. No. I would not. No. God, on that note, let's uh, let's get let's let's go to reason things about uh, in regards to this character. So, why did Cage or not Cage? Jesus Christ! Travolta. I would like to see Cage play fucking. He would have fucking really killed this role. Uh, Travolta accept this role. Well, remember the son I said that passed away. Um, so Travolta would be attracted and accept the part as a tribute to his 
his son, uh, his autistic son, uh, Chet, who did pass away in 2009. So mm. not to get too real on it, but that is, he claims why he was attracted next up to the part. So to, to an extent, a bit noble on his part to be like, Hey, look, I want to do this for my, my son and showed that, you know, obviously it's even all these years later, in this case, like a whole decade later, it's obviously still very much affecting him as I would assume it would, you know, no parent wants to live a life for their, their kids out surviving them essentially. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I get that. And it is, you know, I can understand him wanting to do a tribute to his son, his autistic son. This isn't, this isn't the way this is, this is just uncomfortable. And honestly, I thought he accepted the role because like Fred Durst offered him, offered him like 25 bucks in a Chalupa. So at least I know that it wasn't entirely financially motivated. Yeah, no, it for apparently he had, he had good reasons for it. Just obviously, so I don't know if I would have picked this movie specifically, but I, I get, I get where Travolta's headspace has come from on that one. I, I get that. Yeah. Um, what I don't get is my next point. Um, since the film's release, Travolta has claimed that Moose is his favorite character he's ever played. That part I don't get, as he's got personal attachment to the character because of the tribute to his son. That's why. I mean, mm. frankly, it should be Sean Archer, you idiot. But whatever. I would argue, pull. Well, it's either that or Pulp Fiction. Yeah, it's Vincent Vega or it's Sean Archer. Those are his two best movies. Prove me wrong. <laughs> I know you're right. I like. I actually really like Saturday Night Fever, but God, haven't not... seen that. Haven't seen that. I love the soundtrack, but I have not actually watched the movie. It's actually not a bad movie. Um, but yeah, I'd say your face off or um, Pulp Fiction. I do not like Grease. I don't like Grease. I I fucking despise Grease. I don't like musicals and everything Grease stands for. I just despise. So no. A friend of mine, I recently found out, also does not like Grease. And I'm not going to lie, it brought us closer together. People bond out of hate, mutual hatred way quicker than they do out of mutual love. They really do. <laughs> this, is, this is true. Well, yeah, I guess if it is the, the personal you know, thing with his son, I get that, then that makes sense. Um, beyond him, I don't have much else because... Uh, Seemingly everything went smooth with casting and production process. Um, but as we've seen in the past, even if it's a smooth process for films like this, it's not always a success upon release. Um, all right. This film would bomb the capital B on an incredible, even with an incredibly limited budget or sorry, not budget or limited release. My bad. Um, but many audiences, just simply scoffing at the mere mention of Fred Durst being the brains behind this, as you have this whole episode. Tell you, man, he's poison. The <laughs> amount, before I say how much this film made, before I say that, uh, the amount of people when this was announced, because you know, you know me, I get on Blaze Gusting and IGN, those are my two sites I like to use to keep up to date on movie news. The amount of times I would see even the people doing the journalism be like, well, Biscuit Frontman is just going to keep on rolling with new movie, The Fanatic. Like, they were finding ways to just plug in the song. Like, you could tell there was no seriousness here. Like, oh, yeah, Limp Biscuit guy making a horror film. Okay. What you're saying is everything is fucked. Everybody sucks. (laughs) 
<sighs> I wanted to get one in. <laughs> I was waiting. I was like, come on, I can't keep the one that gets all these lyrics in. Um, yeah, I can totally, I tell you right now, when I heard Fred Durst did this, I'm like, oh yeah, I, oh, I totally get why this belongs on this show. I didn't need to look at anything else. I'm like, Fred Durst made it, bring it on. <laughs> There's no way he made anything good ever. <laughs> Fred Durst, bring it. Let's go. I imagine the premiere of this movie was like in the back of Fred Durst's house. Not mansion, house. With like a pickup truck, bed holding a video, like a, a camera projecting on like the back of his house. And like Travolta's there, Fred Durst is there, and like some press who got paid to be there. God damn it. Well, more than likely, that is probably what happened because this film only made $3,000 at the box office. So <laughs> I like how I was able to segue into that weird scenario that was painted. It was actually really perfect. Um, I, wonder, yeah. I bet 2000 like, how much of this do you think Travolta got? Like, what was the percentage here? What if he took I... box office points? Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. It, it, it's actually, I've seen limited films that don't make a lot, right? Like, they only make a couple of thousand. But usually, it's like, you know, 500, 600,000, somewhere around there. It's not 3,000. I've I very rarely have ever seen a number like this pop up. Yeah, that's like, I can finance that shit. It's, it's crazy. Like, when your box office is less than my bank account, and I'm fucking nobody... That's pathetic. <laughs> yeah. It. Oh, boy. Yeah. Um, this would also, in turn, be poorly, is reportedly the worst op- movie opening of John Travolta's career. So if you didn't think he was already done because of Gotti, this film did not help. <sighs> Just picturing Travolta at like a press junket and some smart ass is like, so. Are you just done? Do you think like you'll ever have this? Like, you think you'll? Is this your worst movie? And it was for like Gotti, and he's like, no, no, I can go lower. Like he's making it a personal gold. Like he can always go. What? He hasn't hit bottom what yet. He... <laughs> what if he's laying down heads? You know what I mean? Like he's working. He's like, no, 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 I can keep on rolling. They're like, uh, what? <laughs> it's just one of those days, man. Jesus. He's just laying the like the breadcrumbs for what he's already talking about. They're like, why does he keep someone's like, why does he keep quoting Limp Biscuit? Just picks up a hot dog, just starts chomping. <laughs> he's okay. yeah, I I wonder I, I do can I, I do think he is not aware of where of the state his career is in. I think he's in this weird state of blissful ignorance because he keeps getting invited to the Oscars. I was say, I think they need to stop inviting him to the Oscars for him to go, wait, what? Yeah, because that I think to him, that's like, he made it, and he's still on top of the mountain, where he doesn't realize that he fell off Everest a long time ago. Someone's got to say something, and it's not like he's going to take it from Fred Durst. So, somebody with some, you know, who commands respect has to tell him this. I'm sorry, you're you had a band that no one likes and you're trying to tell me what to do. <laughs> okay. Mr. Durst. Oh my God. <laughs> oh, this is fun. Yes. 
uh, critics, as we uh, mentioned, would be just the scaling. Uh, with some, you know, obviously going off film, but they're also a lot kind of digging into what we've been kind of, especially my buddy here, Connor, have been making fun of, which is for Durst directing the fucking movie. A lot of it had to do with them. Um, and, you know, luckily this wasn't a case of, wow, they're really going after this guy with the movie itself. It's, good. it's like, oh, no, they didn't have this guy in the movie itself. It's pretty bad. So kind of worked out in this regard. Yeah, it's kind of awesome when, like, fan discussed, critic discussed, and just general dislike of a human being can all unite as one to make a like to review a movie that is literally bullied out of existence. Sometimes it sometimes it works. Sometimes they need it. I know this is the one time in like audience critics just all heard the words Fred the sense Fred Durst writing a horror film went the fuck <laughs> oh I won't have that every in critic in Hollywood is like let me get my notepad yeah. not in my house not in my house, house. <laughs> we ain't having the faith today Lump Biscuit fucking bring this movie on Oh, he he will be back. You can't, you can't kill Fred Durst. He's a weed. He'll always he, come back. He he took the the decade long wait for the the new album to do this. Still released a new album that I actually I looked up apparently critically has gotten positive reviews. I don't know how. I don't. So no, he's not going anywhere. If anything, he got that album out of the way. So Russ Bolin will stop talking to him about music. And you'd be like, good. Now that I've shut you up, I can make another movie. <laughs> now that I half-ass this, I can go back to half-assing what I really want to half-ass. <laughs> Rest Bones was like, fuck it. I finally got my fucking album out. I can play guitar. <laughs> <laughs> go solo, man. Go solo. <laughs> he can do so much. He's a legitimately good guitarist. He so fucking stands out with from that band because... I'm sure you've seen it. He has like the weird makeup. He does all this weird stuff. You can tell like this guy is a fucking artist and a performer. Why is he in Limp Biscuit? I know he could do so much better than Limp Biscuit. He's not a bad guitarist. What the fuck? <laughs> oh, I want somebody to interview him and ask him that. Like, dude, why are you still here? <laughs> Get out of this one-sided relationship <laughs> before it's too late. Do do what Mark Tremonti did from Creed and do alter bridge with Miles Candy and actually have some respect in the industry. Form a super group with the rest of corn and just be like, you know, corn biscuit or something. <laughs> it's not the best metal band name, but then again, neither is corn or limp biscuit. You actually, you don't even want to know like the disgusting fucking reason corn came up with his name. I don't. It's, it's fucking vile. <laughs> So keep it to yourself. <laughs> I'm not gonna say it on there, but I will probably tell you one day because I'm that I'm that kind of friend for you. You can tell me when we're done here because yeah. you're going to anyway. I I probably don't. I well, I mean not tonight, but yeah, they they revealed their reason because I was always even I'm like my corn and with a K. Then they revealed their reason how they came up with it. it has nothing to do with food. It has something. It has to do with something else. And I was like, huh? when I found out where huh? Lil Biscuit's name came from, I was like, yep, I knew I didn't like these guys. I actually don't know where their name came from. I didn't bother to pay attention. Limp Biscuit is the name of a game that people 
like weird dudes play where they're all jerking off in a circle and the first person to come on the biscuit has to eat the biscuit. So also a sex thing, which is how corn got god damn it. Yeah. It's either the first or the last person. I don't know. Somebody's gonna have a bad day. So God damn it. There you go. That's that's somebody's favorite band. <laughs> anyway. All right. I'm not yeah, I'm not gonna make it worse, but corn's name. You know, I do actually like corn, but the band, not that well, and the food item. I do like the food item as corn. Who but, who would assume that's what you were talking about? Well, now I'm paranoid because I'm thinking about why they called him. So I'm like, not that reason, not for that reason. <laughs> if you have nothing more to say, we can move on to our awards. Okay. All right. First up, Zach Snyder, who, again, actually, he's been fra- fairly radio silent. So I'm continuing to have weeks of not any nice pun to put there. So, uh, was Zack Snyder, all the worst scene. What do you got in this movie filled with quite a bit? <laughs> um, ultimately, I went with uh, where we get to see Moose's day job, where he puts on an English Bobby costume, a fake mustache, and does the worst English accent in the world on Hollywood Boulevard, just telling people, like, look, it's the Queen! <laughs> and, like, stupid shit like that. I was like, this... You spent quite a big chunk of the movie on this. Like, did we need to know this? Was does this do anything for the movie? No, other than watch Volta really overacts in this part. Um, yeah, you. I, I know you. Yeah, I know you and Austin went to L.A. Did you guys happen to go near this part of L.A.? No, we uh, we we avoided that. Um, actually, uh, the, the, the Chinese theater where they usually have that those mm. weirdos. They were having a premiere for um American Underdog. Oh, okay. So we couldn't actually go over there, but we 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 didn't want to deal with with those crazy people. Oh, okay, I was about to see like if you guys went there and like if it's actually like true to how you see it in films all the time. Um, they wait, wait, they had do they like block it off? There's a premiere or something? Yeah, if it's an actual like they've got you know red carpet people coming in, they got you know like Zachary Levi was there for his movie. Like they don't want weirdos accosting, you know, people who matter. Oh, I get. I'm saying, like, for locals, I feel like that would be such a hassle. Like, goddamn, we have to drive around this again. <laughs> yeah, kind of. It's L.A. If you're not inconvenient, you're just poor. That's true. Um, but I mean, I'm sure if you live there, you probably used to something like that happening all the time. So, I just, I, I get, I get it. I just didn't know they actually like sure, but like, eh, no one can cross this area. Fuck off! It's a premiere. You fucking plebes. Pretty much. That's what it's like. The, the, you know, whenever the, there's a lot of theaters in L.A. and whichever one has the premiere of like a big movie, it's blocked off. VIPs only. And if you aren't famous, you can fuck right off. <laughs> I get it. That, that, that's why L.A. always looks so nice in movies, because they're like, let's just present the version that, you know, is only good for those who have money. Um, yep. <laughs> all right. Uh, that's a good one, though. Um I did not write that down. I had a couple written down myself. Um, I had like the black and white fucking flashback that is supposed to give us insight in, into like Moose, but really doesn't. Um, I had that ran down, but what I ultimately went with, and look, I'm not going to tell you what you can do as the writer or director of your film, but also there's this little thing called a little bit of overindulgence. Even Rob Zombie hasn't done this as someone who does a lot of music and also movies, and he does put some of his music in his movies 
like the title song for House House Corpses is his the song, and actually it kind of works in that regard. But in this case, this is way too much. And that was when Sawa playing, you know, Dunbar trying to impress his son with real fucking metal music from his youth puts on Limp Biscuit in the car. And what kills me is like I had to look up the songs. I'm like, what fucking Limp Biscuit song is this? Because it's not one like the ones you hear all the time. No, Fred Durst went the extra mile and picked off the EP, the only critically acclaimed, even the even haters like this EP of Limp Biscuit. Because it's the only time they stepped away from their shit they always sing about that where people just roll their eyes at and got serious for a second. And it's the song called The Truth, which I guess has to play into the movie. I didn't bother. But just the fact that he not only took a song from his film, his discography, but was like, uh-uh, not just any song. Because he could have just gone easy and been like, let's put in fucking break stuff or Roland or Nookie or anything in there. And he's like, let me get the one that even the critics were like, no, we actually like this. You know what I mean? Like, he had that high, I guess, like, pretentiousness to an extent about him. Be like, no, no, the good stuff. The thing that everyone likes. I'm like, I had to look that song up, dude. <laughs> A, I doubt that was artistic indulgence and more just Fred Durst didn't have enough money to finance his own music, the, the hits anyway. <laughs> and B, I'll be talking about that later. I can just imagine he's going to like a producer, so I want to put in a uh, break stuff. He's like, huh, we can't afford that. But it's my song. <laughs> yeah, we can't afford that. What's What's your runner up? I was thinking Roland. Nope, not Roland either. My generation. Ooh, God, you got to try again, Fred. Come on. Come on. Anything off results may vary. No one liked that album. No. (laughs) How deflated do you think Fred was when he realized, like, oh, I can't afford it? Huh. (laughs) I guess I guess a B-side will do. I guess off this EP that everyone liked, but it was an EP, so it didn't get a huge release. Hmm. Ah. Oh well, Fred. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Then we'll talk more about it later. But yeah, uh, as far as my thoughts, it just was so. Like I said, I have nothing. I get it. Like I like I, said, I know Rob Zombie for the credit sequence during House of Thousand Corpses. He plays his House of Thousand Corpses song. A lot of his early films are named after songs of his, but it doesn't feel indulgent. I can't explain. It. Like it doesn't feel indulgent. It just feels like a, a natural part of the movie for him. Um. Whereas this just felt so fucking indulgent and like, oh my god, are you serious, dude? Rob has earned it. That's all I gotta say. Fair enough. We'll we'll get into it later then. Uh so with that, we'll just move on to the the Edwood, the worst line. I have two. And easy, real easy picking on this one. So yes, what are your two? My first one comes from Todd the God, who I can only imagine was I swear to God, I thought I thought that was Fred Durst. Um, he's talking to Moose at one point, and he's trying to get him to be part of his scam. And he says, "We are going to be making mucho Donald Trump." Who the fuck says that? Ever? This was in 2019, right? Yeah, I'm talking all of human history. No one has ever no, no, no. money as uh, Donald uh, Trump. No, they haven't. I was just going to make a joke about it. A MAGA Republican would make that Ugh. comment. Yeah. That's Ugh. why I asked. Like, the year was when he was in office, right? I think it Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. 
I guess they just wanted to make Todd the God as unlikable as possible. They already achieved that when he's like beating up a fucking autistic dude. Like the second he called himself Todd the, the God, I'm like, oh, okay, we hate this guy. Yeah, Todd the God. He's doing dumbass. To me, just dumb. Not even fun to watch. Stunts on the street. And like I said, he has this whole thing was antagonizing a fucking mentally ill dude. So like, no, you've established I'm not supposed to like this guy one bit. No, I don't need more. <laughs> so that was yeah. I rolled my eyes at that, and then the other one comes from some narration towards the end from Leah or Leah, however you say her name. Leah. Leah. Okay. And she says it's when he uh, he enters uh, Dunbar's home for the first time, and she says, "Moose didn't just cross the line; he fucking nuked it." It's like, whoa! Why don't we slow down there? A little hyperbolic, don't you think? I mean, he nuked it. I don't know about that. <laughs> that line would have worked had this phone gone further with its scene with the with that section of the film because that section was actually incredibly short um yeah. had it gone further that line would have made more sense but the way it goes that line's just so over the top of what actually happens i agree so yeah it was just there's so many lines where it's like you're not even gonna believe what happened in this story it's like you can't even comprehend the insanity yeah. that I was a part of, that I was a witness to. And I'm like, no, I I could buy that. I can. And actually, I've heard worse than what you're presenting in this movie. <laughs> yeah, I was just thought, like, stop building us up for something we know we're not going to get. Well, I don't. This is a type of film that does not need fucking narration, if I'm just being honest. That was a dumb choice. I don't think it was as dumb as putting a quote from one of the characters before the movie. That was, yeah, yeah, that was bad. That was fun. Between that, it was like, that was off to that side where I'm like, why the fuck is there a quote in this movie? And then when they click that, it's from a, a character, I'm like, oh my god. And then they start doing the voiceover, and I'm like, this is just a movie about some dude getting obsessive and stalking. Why are we making it so epic when it doesn't need to be? Yeah, Fred Durst was watching Blade Runner, and then he had a dream about his stalker, and he woke up and he wrote this piece of shit. <laughs> Well, those days <laughs> <laughs> mine uh, I, I I almost picked the only one on my side to keep it at one because dear god again there are so many options in this movie and it's I just picked the first one at the very beginning and it's just because I was like did we really put that line and I know he's like mentally ill but holy fucking shit and it's when he goes I can't talk too long I gotta poo I'm like, are you fuck? I had a moment. I think I almost, I almost paused the movie. I was like, oh wow, that's his <laughs> opening line. That's the first thing out of Travolta's mouth. Oh boy, <laughs> I had a feeling you were going to talk about that. A lot of the letterboxed reviews I ignored were just that line. It's like, <laughs> can't review this long. I got to poo. <laughs> Because it's in fucking that's how you introduce your character is that line. And again, I get it. He's autistic. He's mentally ill. I, you know, without saying names, I I'm friends with someone who has dealing, you know, with uh a family that's just autistic. And you know, he talks a different way. It's nothing like that, though. Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah, nothing like that. 
I have, yep, I have an autistic, uh, second, I think second cousin and, uh, no, <laughs> like it's Hollywood never gets autism, right? They're always, they, they either go to serial killer or like deaf mute. There's no, they never even try. It's because they don't understand what autism is. Yeah. Like, and that's the thing, like in my experience, you know, this particular yeah, person experience, the person is just very hyper-focused on something. So they tend to keep repeating themselves and they have to finish their train of thought. So they will keep trying to finish it. And in some cases, just fucking repeat it. It's just how their brain works. They're not just sitting there going, I got poo. I got poo. I got poo. They're not saying that shit. <laughs> like, it's not shit like this that's coming out of their mouth. You know, believe it or not, people like, no. At the end of the day, yeah, they're autistic. They're still human beings. They're still people. Yeah, it doesn't. What really bothers me is every single, like, oftentimes whenever there's a an autistic character in a movie, nine times out of ten, they've got a fucking backpack. Like, That's not with any mental, mental health issue. They have a backpack, and they always have some reason, they always come up with a reason why they don't have an actual adult figure watching over them. Yeah, there's no guardian, there's, there's a backpack, their hair's always messed up, and they dress just outlandish. Yeah, because even if, like, I'm assuming that uh, Travolta's character was high-functioning autism machines. To an extent, they can do some things on their own, to an extent. But still, again, I'm not as knowledgeable on this. I would assume, even with high-functioning, there still needs to be someone watching over them. Well, he had a, a mom who dated, like, who was, like, sleeping around, and he was raised by TV. That's the That's basically what we were told in that brief flashback. Yeah, apparently there was no other family members or anything that could help him. And even Leah, who it's so weird because no one else around him acts like he has it and they're trying to help him, which also bugged me. Like, there's not even like any of these people that could be like their friend, make sure he's safe and he's doing good. They just act like they are oblivious to his, um, his mental, you know, his mental health. Well, I mean, she's not the best either. You know, she's. I mean, she's a uh, paparazzi. Yeah. Like, and that dude who runs the store, I'm pretty sure, is constantly taking advantage of him. Oh, he has to be. Yeah. And then Dunbar is just a prick. So there's there's nobody really to rely It's L.A. Yeah, that's true. Well, like I said, it's just, I have a lot of issues with how they depict, not just in this one, but film in general. Like, it's like, just do your research with this stuff. Just do your fucking research. I got two words for you. Fred Durst. Yeah, that's what I thought. On that note, let's move on <laughs> to another horrendous human being in the entertainment industry, the Steven Seagal. The worst performance. Who did you come up with? It's not necessarily a terrible performance. It's just inappropriate. I got to give it to John Travolta. Okay. Yeah, I just I do not like the way he depicted this autistic character. I find it's too much. It's it doesn't feel right. And I I just think he made a big mistake here. So, yeah. Okay. I'm I'm glad you put that. That'll be interesting for um some I'll talk about later in our section of the awards, but this will this will create an interesting dynamic, I think. But I do see where you're coming from. You know, he he does commit to his credit. You know, you can tell he's trying. 
Um, but you could also argue that yes, it's a terribly, you know, it, you could argue it's a terribly offensive portrayal, one hundred percent. That you know, this is not how people with autism act or function at all, and that this is not, and you know, a good representation. So I get where you're coming from, absolutely. Well, it's also you know, to a lot of I I, I see this with you know with my thesis work and movies to a lot of people are their window to the outside world to stuff they'll never experience or, or see. So to a lot of, to some people, like are, they're going to watch this and think, Oh, that's how, that's how autistic people act. Like, and I don't like, you need proper representation on all fronts so that people don't believe that goofy shit like this is the norm. Yeah. No, no, I, yeah, it's, you know, and something that's obviously been kind of in more recent years has finally been getting, uh, Hollywood's been getting attacked about a lot more recently, recent years, um, is, you know, representation diversity, right? You know, I know we talked about on the show before, you know, rightfully Hollywood's finally getting pushed back on like, hey, you need to have more than just, you know, a right straight male as the protagonist, as a character that we follow, like there's other people out there that exist. So this is a ward with billions of people on it. There are many races, many sexual orientations, many um gender identities now, you know. Um and obviously another one is many people with different various forms of mental health issues, whether that be autism or OCD. Legit OCD, not what we like to joke about, but actual like even I know with it. Bipolar, schizophrenia, things that people live with every day of their lives and i do think there are cases where you know people who don't struggle with these issues can portray them in an accurate and respectful way we just very rarely see that yeah no we very rarely and um like I said, it has happened and i think sometimes we very rarely see it and then because it's been done so badly you know you always get that there's always gonna be backlash when it's done that isn't in that you know, community, you know, whatever it may be. And to an extent, I get it. I do, because there's been so much bad representation. Obviously, I, it'd be more ideal just to get someone who is in, the, you know, the LGBTQ community, who is, you know, Black for that role, who is having that kind of mental issue. Unfortunately, there's also not that much. You can only work with so much, but I get, I get why they want that. I understand completely. I, you know, I feel it myself, you know, as a Hispanic man, I, I see, you know, misrepresentation in film all the time. And it really bothers me when like a white actor plays a Hispanic role or, you know, as a film fan, it really bothers me when people like Fred Durst make movies. It's not over until it's over. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I representation is important on all fronts. And uh, if you're going to play an autistic person, maybe do a little bit more research than just getting a backpack. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, wow, you're going to make it. You're making uh, my my slight defense later for some award that much tougher. <laughs> um, I'm going to stick to my guns though. I just now know I have an uphill battle to fight here. Um, so for mine, I went with the guy playing the dick we talked about earlier. Uh, Jacob Grodnick is the actor's name that played uh Mr. Trump Muchacho Money, whatever the fuck it was. Oh, Todd the God. <laughs> Todd the God. He plays Todd the God. Uh, mainly because I just absolutely despise this character with every fiber of my being. Um, that's why I put him down. To the, I mean, the character's definitely doing a good performance for me to hate him this much. Yeah. But fuck me that I just want this character off the screen. Um, so much. Yeah, I agree. Watching, you know, 
Travolta snap and start strangling him was one of the few bits of the film where I was like, ah, okay. Yeah, I was like, you know what? Kill him. Do it. Go on. Do it. And then he's like, let that be a lesson to you or something like that. Or he says like, what? You're not worth it. After he almost gets killed. Yeah. yeah. I was like, damn it. Could have had that one. Um, So yeah, that's why I put put him down because I fucking hated his character. From the moment he was doing his Chris Angel fucking shit on the street, I was just like, all right. Everyone want to see a show? And he starts shoving a fucking nail in his nose. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I was like, dude, you can just go to a shop and they do that with way less blood and uh, professionally and quicker. (laughs) All tattoo shops do piercings in case anyone wants a fucking piercing and a tattoo. And also his partner, world's shittiest pickpocket. Like it was so obvious what he was doing. He was like just cartoonishly reaching into people's pockets. Oh, yeah. Well, and also he's just also he's just as bad, if not worse, of a human being than him. It's like God, you two should just fuck with how meant to be you are Ugh. for each other. I hate both of you. <laughs> I wish there was a gene that like prevented douchebags from reproducing. Like somehow the body knew and it just turned that off. That would be great. <laughs> I God, nope. Apparently, idiocracy was right in more ways than one. <laughs> they breed the most. <laughs> On that note, the Michael Bay. Speaking of assholes, um, worst filmmaking decision. Oh boy, a whole lot of stuff. So what? What? What did you come up with for this? So I did have the whole you know autistic representation thing as my as my Michael Bay award until the scene where Devin Sawa decides to introduce his son to Limp Biscuit. Because at first I'm like, are you fucking kidding me, Fred? Really? You're going to plug in this movie? You're going to be like, hey, have you ever heard of this classic band, Limp Biscuit? Let me show you my childhood. But the way he's so pumped about it, they're playing and he's literally going like, yeah, how about that? How about that? Wait oh, for yeah. the beat to drop. Yeah, yeah. He's even like hyping up the beat. He's like, oh, yeah. And that's, you know me, lifelong, you know, big metal head. So obviously metal loves to do what they call the breakdown, right? Metal loves it. You know, we so you saw Ray, Rage when we went to go see Rage. I know you've seen it before in other metal bands you, you do like. Um, right? But they build the song up, they build it up, and they just do the fucking breakdown to make you lose your collective shit. That's what he's like hyping up towards, and it never fucking happens. It's like blue balls. It's like, yeah, you ready for that breakdown? You you ready? It's coming, you ready? And I'm like, it's not coming, it's not fucking coming. It just made me laugh that Devin Saw was not like, I, I want to know what the direction was from Fred Durst. He's like, all right, so you're going to put that CD in and then you were going to respect my music. <laughs> you're going you're gonna to act like it's the greatest shit you've ever heard in your life. Because oh, it's just so self-indulgent and unearned and ridiculous and just goofy. Like if it had been any other band, I wouldn't have cared, but it ha- he had to plug his own fucking music. <laughs> I would love if you just had like Russ Boland walking on set with a guitar, <laughs> just walking out, just playing it during the scene. Like, finally, since the album's not coming out, I'm surprised the scene didn't evolve into a fucking mid movie music video, like just like a musical number in like a '50s movie, but Limp Biscuit. And now, not only a new movie from Fred Durst, but also the new Limp Biscuit song. 
Check out the album. It might come out. <laughs> I wouldn't put it past him. I, I wonder if he pitched that and somebody had to talk. Like the producers, like stop it. We're just like, look, like, let's level here. Just because you're delaying this album for almost ten years does not mean you're bringing that shit to the movie here, okay, Fred? All right, what you're going to do is make a goddamn movie. Leave your fucking new music that you're not coming out with over there. You don't bring it here. Over there, not here. All right, cool. Get out there, champ. It's just so unnecessary. Again, adds nothing to the movie, and only just makes me like Hunter Dunbar even less. Because now I know, not only is he an absolute prick, he also likes Limp Biscuit. <laughs> of course. <laughs> oh, God. What an episode so far. Yeah. Um, that's good. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm pretty much with you. Like, I, look, I get it, especially, like, you know, these guys... Like when you know these time obviously make strange land, Rob Zombie's career, they're going to be tempted to want to put in their music, but it has to actually work in the context of the movie. This is such clear self this is just masturbation. Like for Fred Durst. Exactly. Can you imagine if like in the middle of the Devil's Rejects, Captain Spaulding is like, Hey guys, what do you think of Rob Zombie? You ever heard of him? Check out this music. Isn't he like the voice of a generation? Yeah, that's the shit Fred Durst pulled. And that's no, uh, uh-uh, no. You don't yeah. get to do You easily like the whole opening tile sequence easily just could have been a fucking little biscuit song, and I would have moved on in my life. And like, well, it makes sense because Fred Durst is directing. I would have thought anything of it. I would have been like, okay, cool, whatever. But he, he points it out. He stops the movie to point this scene out. Soundtrack is fine, but mid movie, like bonding moment between father and son. No, no, thank you. Need that also. Look, if you're trying to get your son or daughter, you know, your child, I'll keep it general neutral, your child into um, your music, may actually put good classic stuff. Like, I know me, my dad, some of the first stuff I got introduced to was like Sabbath and Zeppelin and ECDC and things like that. And then I cried for my taste. My dad ever tried to introduce me to Limp Biscuit, we're not talking anymore. No, no, even like, yeah, if I ever introduce any child kid I have to music, I'll. Especially, obviously, like the 90s, 2000s era that I kind of got into. It'll be like Rob Zombie and Slipknot and Korn, actually. I would say Manson, but he kind of tainted things for people. Um, Yeah. Thanks a lot, Marilyn Manson, you son of a bitch. Um, For me, you know, he was supposed to make a movie. Never happened. Uh, <laughs> Thank God. Yeah. Um, Having, uh, so me... I kind of went more with the themes of the film, right? And that was having this film's climax completely muddle and fuck up whatever message you're trying to make with mental health and soccer obsession. Like, something is trying to be said here. You can watch, I'm like, something's trying to be said about mental health, about obviously soccer, especially about soccer obsession within the, you know, celebrity culture. But then the end comes. And the whole I took I sat there for a minute going, what does what? I'm like, okay, so let's just break it down, right? First off, Devin Sauer gets like a murder boner or a torture boner, and so it's like blows this dude's fingers off, stabs him in the eye. Which look, I get it. The guy has not left you alone. He got into your house. He did not harm you. 
physically though. Yeah, he scared your shit you a lot, definitely. 100 percent He not harm physically harm you. So maybe calm down on shooting his fingers off and stabbing him in the eye. And then like they're I don't know, I something about hearing a a mentally, you know, handicapped person scream and acting like that, just I don't know why it really got to me. I was just like, I don't like how the, this is I don't like this. Like, please stop. And then he he stops. He I guess he had the same gut sick feeling I have when you hear this these kind of noises come from a mentally handicapped person. And was like, I can't go through with this. And then lets him leave. Dun, uh, Moose finds his way back to the Hollywood Star Walk of Fame area where people assume he's part of the L.A., you know, doing fun stuff on the sidewalk and are just passing by him going, oh, cool stunt. And the police come and arrest Dunbar, even though they don't bar to ask, hey, who murdered your fucking maid? <laughs> Um, but they just assume he did it and arrest him, send his ass to jail, and Moose just assumingly goes to the hospital and lives his life scot-free. Now, I know what I just said about feeling kind of sick to my stomach when he started like crying out. At the end of the day, though, I'm not saying I need to see him go to jail. He did become a stalker. He invaded this dude's life. He accidentally killed someone, and he did endanger this man's life. He needs to face some kind of fucking some kind of punishment or that be hey you need to get placed somewhere to be more closely monitored i'm not again not jail don't put his ass in jail but someone to closely monitor him you know what i mean and also are you really going to think like someone like dunbar who's apparently famous enough to have that kind of house isn't going to get out of this all he has to be is like i didn't murder her dna that's not his fucking DNA they're going to get from the fist that hit her face. Um, Like, he's going to get out of this, and the cops in real life probably wouldn't have just preemptively fucking arrested him. They would have had questions and asked. I think it's crazy that nobody found the maid for, like, a couple days. Nobody went in the backyard. No, no, you, no, you see the fucking gardener. He just assumes he did it. And I'm like, so far, what I've seen is that he's not... He, I mean, Dunbar might be an asshole. He doesn't... But we haven't seen him be an asshole to his help. Like, he lets his gardener off. He's like, yeah, yeah, it's about rain. Get out of here. I don't give a shit. Um, the, he apparently, only, the only people he hates are his fans, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. Like, he seems to be nice to his help. So why this guy just assumed... Oh, yeah, he did it. The guy... The, and knowing that, it's established that they had a secret relationship going on. The maid and... Um, Sawa's character so it's like why would you think he killed her why was it a secret wasn't he divorced yeah I'm like that's why I said nothing about this ending on like a thematic a movie the themes nothing about it makes goddamn sense like Moose is not you know this horrifying horror villain where it's you know feels good to see him get his no it just feels like way too gross and you know vicious just and where does this sudden blood rage come from Dunbar where he's shooting the guy's fingers off and stabbing him in the eye? He's literally like, Oh, you like movies? Well, let me make you deaf and blind. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like just because like, he tied you up and demanded an autograph. <laughs> yeah. It's fucking insane. And like I said, I'm not obviously saying I and at the same token, do I want Musky Ray Scott Free? No, because he did do a lot of illegal shit. He did. Kill someone. I get it. He's mentally handicapped. He didn't mean to. 
But again, it happened. And like I said, there is a situation where a lot of these cases, when that does happen, they get placed in some kind of psychiatric ward or somewhere like that, or some kind of home to be more closely monitored. Again, I'm not saying I need to see this guy go to jail and then that because Moose will not survive in jail. Um, but obviously, you know, at the same time, I don't, I don't want to see that scene where the blood rage happens because, like I said, it did actually. I don't know why. Again, it's just probably some of me seeing things like that happen to like children or mentally handicapped people, which is I. It's hard for me. Um, that, but at the same time, obviously, I also don't want anything where it's implied he gets away scot free for the shit he did do in this fucking movie. Yeah, I think we needed another twenty minutes to kind of yeah. see where everybody really ends up. Yeah, I can't believe I'm saying this because I kind of wanted the movie to end anyway. I would have actually taken more for more, at least the more satisfactory ending. Yeah, so would I. So, yeah, that's that's mine. That's my decision. Makes sense. Good one. Yeah, thank you. I thought so, too. It, I was actually struggling. I was like, what am I going to put? Not because like it was hard, just because like, what am I going to put? There's so much I can put. Then when this ending happened, I went, yeah, this is it. This is exactly what I'm putting because fuck this ending yeah um, so yeah with that let's try to be somewhat positive on this movie that we just shit on and let biscuit to that extent and talk about the server lining so was there anything positive that you took from this well i did have written down that moose is a fairly easy character to root for and he's a little justified at first in the way he's kind of you know shut down by the man he idolizes and he's like he's spurned and he he wants some goddamn justice i get that but the more i talk about it i'm changing my silver lining to the fact that i think a three thousand dollar box office is probably going to prevent fred durst from ever doing this again <laughs> so that's that's some good news you get three fred go away I love you just find a way back. <laughs> I am Fred Durst. I am fully aware of what this episode is to me. I am not straying from my path. So I'm good and ready. <laughs> Ooh, okay, that's good. That's, I didn't think about that. That's good. I like what we did there. For me, kind of hand out earlier. And I realize now you've made this incredibly hard for me because you have a lot of good fair points on Tron Travolta, but I did put the committed performances from both Devin Sawa and Tron Travolta. Let me at least defend myself a little bit. Yes, I'm with you. It's not the best representation. I blame writing more than performance. I think this is a terribly written film. Obviously, Fred does not do his research. Travolta absolutely could have done his research as well. He absolutely, especially considering he did this for his son. He knows what autism is like. He has dealt with it. As a as a father, so he could have absolutely done better, but I stand by the fact that at least it's not half-assed. You know, he is giving a committed performance. He is trying, and I will. I've talked about before. You know, the worst thing I, the worst thing to me an actor can do is half-ass something and not do their job that they're fucking paid money to do. He's at least doing his job that he's paid money to do. Um, you know, and like I said, he to the point where yeah, I. You know, I do think that because of it, I probably wouldn't have felt the way I did during the whole blood rage, you know, stabbing in the eye, the ear scene, the way I did if it wasn't for Travolta's performance in that moment and really selling things like that. 
and selling that, you know, this is a guy that, you know, has something wrong and isn't seeing things the way normal people do. But like you said, at the same time, does throw a spurn by this asshole celebrity to an extent, right? Um, so that's where I'm coming from, if that makes sense with John Travolta. With Sawa, it's just, again, my happiness to see him back. You know, beyond that, it's just that the dude's a good... He is, to me, a very good actor. I, I really... You know, he, he really commits to his performances. Um, and I've never really seen him play an asshole before, which he actually does a fairly good job here. He seems to be really enjoying it. Now, wait, I like the Chucky. He played the asshole dad in the first episode before he got his. And then we got his twin brother. Um, he actually really went for it there. He said some words I'm not going to repeat on here. Um, but... You know, he doesn't, it's a role he doesn't play often. You know, he's usually a very likable presence. And for him to kind of say, like, let me just play an asshole for a bit and commit the way he does, like, he, he did good. I, I liked, and I did like the part where he is playing a longer moose to escape. But that was actually a really interesting part. Hunter Dunbar, hell of an actor. But uh, yeah, you make fair points there. It is, you know, for what this is, this, the performances are pretty committed. And, uh, yeah, without them, this would be somehow way worse. Yeah, yeah, it, it would be a lot worse. Like I said, it, at the very least, the actors are they're, they're they're trying. They are trying to work with what they were given. I'll give them that much. Um, nice. I'm glad you were able to find something a little bit more substantial than me in this movie. Yeah, like I said, you made it hard to so explain your reasons for John Travolta. First one was like, oh, shit, yeah, right, yep, no, I can't. <laughs> It's like shit, this is making this one harder. God damn it. <laughs> I'm not sorry. <laughs> I, I would do it again. <laughs> you just want to keep on rolling. You're just doing it for the nookie. Uh biscuit. <laughs> on that note, I got no uh if you're right, if you're good, we can move on to the uh what's in the box segment segment. This has been one of my favorite what's in the box gatherings uh, on this show yet. And I think we may have hit a new bottom because this movie is sporting a 1.6 out of five stars on Letterboxd. So I think that's the lowest we've gone so far. I might be wrong, but I think that's that's pretty low. I think so far. Yeah. (laughs) And also all five of my reviews are are half a star. Decided to maintain a theme after I had got three, and it was still half a star. I'm like, I could probably find two more to keep this going. I wasn't doing it at first, it just happened. Was there anyone you saw that actually had a positive review? Yeah, but they were all like, you know, Limp Biscuit rocks. Like, there was a lot of those. And oh, like, diehards. yeah, some people who were like, you know, I don't give a fuck. So <laughs> I, I, I got to curate some of this shit sometimes. <laughs> just be like, what needs to be here? Um, but here are five. They're probably, probably quoting my generation by Little Biscuit because we don't we don't give a fuck. That makes sense. I saw a lot of that. <laughs> uh, here are five reviews of the fanatic that I hope will make you laugh. I started strong. This one had me cackling. This is from Mike Jin, and I'm just gonna say like all of these are half a star, so I'm not gonna say the the the, uh, the score. Blanket statement. Mike Jin says. I hate to say this, but Fred Durst should stick to music. 
Is that it? Yeah. <laughs> it took me a minute. I was like, wait. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. Don't when you as for just so because I don't, I don't give a fuck about you, and you don't give a fuck about me. My generation. I I don't know what needs to happen for people for him to realize people don't like him. <laughs> I don't. Ah, you think three thousand dollar box office would have done it, but nope. No, because he came out with Little Biscuit still sucks, and apparently embracing the hate. Ah, we're just making him stronger. He even came out with like like a weird like he has his weird beard and fake hair he does now for the song called Dad Vibe. So he's like embracing everything about this now. I feel like I'm gonna this is gonna turn me into a goddamn stalker because I just gotta make sure he's miserable. Meanwhile, Russ Bowen just really wants to play that guitar the whole time. So that's I, the that's the recurring constant. I don't want to live in a world where Fred Durst is happier than me. Does that make sense? Apparently he doesn't want to live in a world where Russ Bowen's happier than him because I all that man wants to do is play guitar and he finds a way to stifle that. <laughs> As much as possible. I never thought I'd have anything in common with a famous guitarist. But we both find Fred Durst insufferable and annoying. So we could bond over that if I ever meet him. <laughs> uh, here's number two. This is from Sergio Munez Esquire. Rain Man plus Taxi Driver plus Stan by Eminem plus Perfect Blue plus Simple Jack from Tropic Thunder equals most unwatchable thing ever. <laughs> that's a good one fun fact i just saw this with stan apparently devin sawa was in the music video for stan as a fucking obsessed fan <laughs> wow everything comes full circle yeah this next one's from auteur yeah it has taken 25 years but finally finally John Travolta's career is exactly where it would be had Pulp Fiction never happened. The Fanatic is beyond garbage, a shameless chronicle of just how far removed its star and director are from any sense of artistry and talent and an utter embarrassment <laughs> that Fred Durst could not even afford to license a Limp Bizkit song more popular than the truth. <laughs> I didn't realize we were going to talk about that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's come back <laughs> oh, oh. that is awesome <laughs> it does make you wonder why was that the I, like I said I was just like why was that the song he picked why I love that like if, if he'd never done Pulp Fiction this would have just naturally happened a long time ago <laughs> for Travolta <laughs> Maybe just gotten, you know, to us sooner. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, God. Okay. This next one is from Gabby. I made it to 24 minutes. It's movies like this one that make me wonder why well-known actors willingly choose to participate in such garbage. Does anyone know? <laughs> nope. No. No, no one knows. I, I stand by... I. <sighs> I only air when it sets out to make a bad film. It just happens. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, sometimes you sign on to these things because you, you know, 
Sometimes it's money. Sometimes it's a apparently carefully worded pitch from Fred Durst. It's like, gotta imagine no one else was gonna sell Travolta on this. <laughs> I feel like one of his kids just really like Limp Biscuit. We don't know, and he's like, my kids really like you. I have to do this for them, and this part for my son. My kids really like you, but let me make it perfectly clear: I don't. So, beyond direction, don't don't speak to me. Break stuff can eat my ass. How do you like that one, Fred? How do you like that one, Fred? <laughs> Beautiful. Oh, okay. This last one's from John Rule, and this is a, a three paragrapher. So this guy had something to say. Wow. Dear God. <laughs> Genuinely baffled by how this could get made. Then it's John Travolta, whose superpower seems to be starring in films that never should have passed the test to be included in Walmart's $5 bin. It's like Simple Jack, that comes up a lot, but revels in its offensiveness and lacks any form of satire that the latter may have held in comparison. I feel it's just plain offensive at the end of the day. The filmmaking is so inept, so self-serving, and complete with such wild leaps in logic that the only way it can be consumed without being completely loathed is in a packed house as a double bill with the room. Was anyone on this set trying? Certainly doesn't seem so. And I don't really give a shit once seeing the complete picture. Okay, scratch that. I'd be more than willing to hand them a real piece of shit so they can know what it felt like to be on the other side of that transaction when I rented it. (laughs) Oh, I get it. All of these, I I see it. I understand. This is the first time where I'm like, I understand all of you. I am with you all. I still think my favorite is the the one where he mentions the truth because I was not expecting that to come up again. Neither was I. I'd forgotten I put that when we naturally started talking about that. So that's just perfect. Oh, that is awesome. My favorite is is still Fred Durst to stick to music. <laughs> Fred Durst, that's I think my that's I think my second favorite. That was great. Fred Durst should stick to music, but uh, something about just hearing that again. He couldn't even license one of his own songs out of truth. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. back time and talk yeah. to the producer. Hey, so uh, I was hoping to put my generation the Hughes song. Okay, yeah, what about that one? That doesn't really fit. No, 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 my generation, like my song. Do you think you can afford that? You're a, you're a musician, Fred? You have song? <laughs> Anything I might have heard? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's what's you, in the box. You don't break stuff? <laughs> don't you break anything? This is my uh, stuff. He's like not getting it. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Okay, what about Nookie? No, I don't want to do Nookie with you. Jesus. Yeah. Goddamn, Fred, how many times do I have to keep telling you? You don't have to blow me for the job. You already have the job. Rolling? Yeah, roll on out of here, dude. (laughs) Oh, God. This is fun. I've named the same songs throughout, and I know there's more songs, yet these same ones have worked consistently throughout. Is there anything else before we close shop and stop making fun of 
at least on this episode, Fred Durst and Limp Biscuit. I have a feeling this might this might come up again randomly in the future. Just a random just verbal hate fuck of Fred Durst. Probably. <laughs> I can't promise this is the end of this. <laughs> All right. Let's let's wrap it up for this one. Woo! We've had some fun. All right, Ferrariville, what is uh, on next week's episode? The usual social media. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under Filmgasm Productions. If you want to shoot us a recommendation, feel free to email us at filmgasm at gmail.com. There are still openings for 2023 because I've not done schedule yet at all. Uh, if you'd like to donate and support us in that way, you can find us on Anchor. Finally, feel free to get on our site, filmgasm.com, for reviews, trails, articles, and all of our episodes. Now, that out of the way, Next week, we'll be looking at one of the lesser action stars of the 80s. I'll see how many people can get angry with that one. Uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme's more, one of his more well-known films, Kickboxer. Uh, I'm looking forward to this. I haven't explored a lot of Van Damme's films outside of things I've, you know, I've seen with other action stars I like better. Um, but I'm very curious on this one. I know this actually has a huge cult following, so I'm kind of curious on how I will uh find my placement on this one yeah i've i've only outside of the expendables too i did i did see blood sport a long time ago and that was that was decent but not because of him he's 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 hilarious so yeah kickboxer ought to be fun just you know mocking the muscles from brussels for a while yes (laughs) um on film on filmgasm we're getting in on the spooky festivity a little bit early but just a tad, and I'm a okay with it. It's one of the greatest annual Halloween fucking favorites of mine of all time. Probably one of the most popular, I think, across America for sure. Um, and that is the always awesome Hocus Pocus. Cannot wait to do that one, especially in time for the upcoming one, which I think looks pretty good based off the trailer. So I'm excited. Yeah, I'm I'm hopeful, but I don't know. I'll always have the first one, and I I'm I excited exactly. Yeah. Look, worst cases, we always have the first one. Best cases, we have the first one and now one for a newer generation of young people to discover, just like we discovered this one. So, yeah. uh, on Oscar Sunday, they'll be looking at the 1936 trauma. I'm getting better at looking up these movies before I write it down. The 1936 trauma, come and get it. Yeah. I have no idea what this is about. I have not yet watched it. I'm planning on watching it tomorrow in time for our Saturday night recording. But we are doing a really cool Best Supporting Actor project that Austin's really excited for and I'm excited for. And it's going to be fun. Oh, yeah. That should be a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I didn't actually look at the platform. I just looked up to know what genre it is. So I can be better with y'all's Oscar Sunday stuff when you guys told me for a loop on something I haven't seen or heard of. I'm like, uh... <laughs> I appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, trying to do better. <laughs> Until then, though, when presented with an opportunity to meet one of your idols in any form of entertainment across the board, just remember they're human also. It's okay to be a little nervous, but it's not okay to start invading their personal life. See you all next week on Beyond the Bad. <laughs>
Thank you.